Now, I, I'm a fairly easygoing guy. At least I, I like to think of myself as fairly easygoing. But oftentimes, uh, because of my personality, I will let things go. And if you're like me, you let things go to a certain point, and then there is a button that people have a tendency, especially my children, to push. And I, I, I quickly go from being just letting things go to I've had enough. Anybody else? Okay. So there have been seasons or times in my life I can look back at those times where I had enough. And one of those times was when I was a sophomore in college and uh, I was a transfer student, wound up on the top floor of a small dorm, Indiana Wesleyan University, and it was a freshman floor, but I was a sophomore, and I was preparing for ministry. I was getting married. Like, I had plans for life. I, I just, I wasn't there to just have fun. Most of the freshmen on that floor, however, they were living their lives a little differently. And so there were times when I would just let things go. And on one particular occasion, I had had enough. And... Uh, my roommate wasn't a great guy. He didn't even make it through the rest of that year. Uh, he just, I, I, I might have shared stories about him in the past, but he would frustrate people in the, in, on our floor. And one particular day, he had managed, I don't know what he did. I don't know what was going on in my life at the time. I just wasn't happy. And uh, I remember one of the baseball players from the team uh, was getting into an argument with my roommate and had escalated name calling and other things. And for some reason, like, I just, I had had enough. So I stepped in, got in the face of not my roommate. For some reason, I thought, oh, now's the time to defend him. I don't know why. But I got in the face of this baseball player and it was going to get physical. And I knew this. And I knew that as a baseball player, he was fast and I am not. That's a good thing to know. And so I did not want to get into, uh, you know, punching because I knew he had a better chance. But I did wrestle in school, so I thought, if I can get him on the ground, I got a better chance here. So I did. <laughs> so I took him down on the ground, and of course, all of the floor starts yelling, fight, people are coming around. I'm just trying to keep him from doing any harm to myself. And uh, I'm on top of him, and yeah, ministerial student. This is a great picture image, right? So, so uh, his roommate, another baseball player, grabbed me from behind and lifted me off of him. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. But very quickly, he threw me into his room, which was right there outside of the hallway. He walked into the room, shut the door, and he opened up the small refrigerator, that you, you know, like those little dorm ones. He opened up the refrigerator and he goes, you want a Coke? And I went from just steaming angry and adrenaline to laughter because it was so disarming. And he handed me a Coke. We sat down on the bed and for a few moments in silence. And then he just said, you know, like it doesn't have to be like this. My roommate is being a jerk. Yours is being a jerk. Like we don't have to, we don't have to go there. And very quickly he de-escalated the situation. He intervened and brought about peace. And I, I've remembered that for a long time because my kids will tell you whenever things are starting to escalate, I have a tendency to start smiling because it's just my way of trying to like bring things down a little bit. It doesn't always work. 
But I try, because when someone's angry at you and you're smiling, it doesn't always go well. My wife tells me this. Um, But I have thought about this when it comes to our relationship with God, because the scriptures tell us that at one point, you and I, who are followers of Christ, we were enemies of God. God, who cannot stand sin, who doesn't allow sin into eternity, who becomes angry at sin, who punishes sin, and all of us are born into this world as sinners. So Colossians tells us that at one time that you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. There was a point when we were enemies of God and he was angry at our behavior, at the sin in our lives. And that's when Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in and de-escalated, actually solved the issue. And he stepped in and he changed the situation and said, I'll take the punishment. And so Jesus interceded on our behalf to bring about peace so that God would look at us with kindness and not with anger anymore. That's a powerful story of the gospel in a nutshell but it's what Jesus did on our behalf because God was angry. But the scriptures also tell us that we are to intercede on behalf of others who are enemies of God. And I think that's the part I oftentimes struggle with. There's a story in Exodus about Moses. And last week, if you were with us, you know that Moses uh, had to flee Egypt when he was younger because he had killed an Egyptian and the Pharaoh was out to kill him. So he fled and spent 40 years in obscurity in the wilderness until God called him to go back to Egypt. And in that obscurity, God did something in his life to create significance and leadership so that he could eventually shepherd the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. So Moses went back to Egypt and he led his people out into the promised land and on their journey to the promised land, they stopped at a place called Mount Sinai. If you've ever seen the movie, The Ten Commandments or know much about that, you know that this is the time when when all of Israel camped out at this mountain and seven different times, the scripture tells us, Moses went up onto the mountain and God's presence came down over the mountain and one of those trips, uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments and brought them down. There were, there were other, the other books of the law that, that God gave Moses during this season. And on one particular trip that Moses went up, we find in Exodus chapter 24. It says that Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Now, only Moses was allowed to be in the presence of God. He represented the people to God and represented God to the people. So they stayed down. It says, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain, here it is again, 40 days, 40 nights. There's that 40 again. Throughout scripture, we see that there's this like season where people spend time. And certainly during Lent, we spend time from Ash Wednesday through Easter 
we call it 40, 40 days of Lent, where we set aside time to focus our attention on our spiritual lives, to get right with God, to fast, to pray. Moses spent 40 days with God. The uniqueness of this particular time was that Moses was receiving from the Lord on this particular trip. He was receiving from the Lord all of the instructions for how they were going to live out their lives in worship. So he gave Moses the instructions on building a tabernacle or a tent of meeting. Inside there was the Holy of Holies where they would put the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant, where the high priest would go in. There was all these instructions. If you read this in Exodus, at times it seems so boring because it tells you how high the poles are supposed to be and the thickness of the curtains and all of this. But during this time, Moses, or Moses is receiving from the Lord all of these instructions on how to focus our lives and our worship centered on who God is. And the irony of what is happening on the mountain compared to what is happening on the ground in the valley with all the people is, is fascinating to me. Because while Moses is spending his time hearing how people should worship God and God alone and getting instructions on all of that, the people become restless. The scriptures tell us that they began to kind of ask questions like, well, where, where, is this, where is this Moses, you know? He went up on the mountain. We haven't seen him for a while. What's going on, right? And they decide that they would choose their own way to worship. We'll just do our own thing. We don't know if he's coming back. So they decide to take the treasures that they were given from the Egypt and melt them down. And they use them to build an idol and they begin to sacrifice to this idol and worship it. So while Moses is getting right with the Lord and understanding how to focus their attention and worship on God alone, the people are choosing consumption and worship of other things. It struck me this week that as we, the church, are focusing our 40 days of Lent on things like fasting and praying, our culture, right, isn't much different. Some of you have heard of this thing called March Madness. During this very same season of Lent, there are people who are talking more about basketball than they are about their relationship with the Lord. 24% of wing, more wings are sold during the month of March because of basketball. We are consumers. We are partiers. Last week was, was uh, St. Patrick's Day, right? 33 million people celebrated St. Patrick's Day and 13 million pints of just Guinness were drank. We turn rivers green to celebrate this. Our culture finds these unique ways that whenever we're bored or we just want to have something to celebrate, we just come up with whatever. It's just like the Israelites were in the wilderness of, well, we got to do something, right? So they begin to worship their own way. They create their own idols. And during this 40 days, it's no different in our culture. We got April Fool's coming up. The day after April Fool's, I think, is peanut butter and jelly day, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> it's when we begin to celebrate those things and not the God behind them that we fall into problems. 
And there's a tendency in our culture and in the church to often be critical of those who aren't in church on Sunday, who aren't fasting and praying, who aren't pursuing a relationship with God. And we have a tendency to get upset at their lifestyle. Well, and I would say rightly so, because God, we understand, was very upset at what was happening at this point in time. God looks down, sees how they're worshiping other idols. It's It goes right against what he's trying to teach Moses. And so God becomes frustrated. He says to Moses, go down because your people, I love this. They're no longer God's people. (laughs) Moses, these are your people. He says, because your people who you brought out out of Egypt. I, I wanna, if I was Moses, I'd be like, no, 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 wait a second. I remember talking to a bush and you told me to go, right? But God says, who you brought out of Egypt, because they have become corrupt. And the word means to be shattered or broken. He says, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who you brought out out of Egypt. I have seen these people, (laughs) these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are are a stiff-necked people. It means frustrating. It's like little children that you keep telling them the same thing over and over again. They do the same thing their way. That's the picture image. He says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. Now this is fascinating because here Moses, or God gives Moses an opportunity He has a choice in this situation. Moses has not done anything wrong. He has a right relationship with God. He's meeting with God. And he has a choice because what God is saying here is that I will keep my promise, but I will make you a great nation. I I sometimes have fun translating. After I do word studies, I translate kind of the passage into my own words. And so I did that with this passage. And here's what I came up with. These, are bro- these people are broken. They are frustrating to work with. They keep making stupid decisions and I'm going to end them. Let me do this, Moses, and I will fulfill my promise through you and I will make you the new Abraham. I will make you the new Abraham. God will still continue to bless this nation, but it will no longer be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It'll be the God of Moses. Let's start this all over again. And church, I think that there are times when we are challenged with the same thing that Moses was here. That we're very comfortable when we are doing right with God and God is blessing us and we see others who are struggling, but their lifestyle, they're far from God. And don't we often have a tendency where we go, man, you know, that's the bed they made, let them sleep in it, right? You see churches or people who call themselves Christians who go to different events and parades or whatever and they hold up signs condemning people, telling people they're gonna burn in hell. And it's not done out of a loving manner but out of an attitude of, well, God has blessed me but the rest of the world can go to hell in a handbasket, right? And we... We approach it that way and go, God, I'm, I'm comfortable with that as long as I'm okay. 
And this was the situation that Moses wound up in. And he had a choice. He could have said, okay, God. But Moses did something different. He had spent 40 days alone with the Lord. He had heard the Lord's heart. He had journeyed with him in the wilderness. He had come through Egypt. He had experienced all of this with God. And so Moses decided to seek God's face. And here's what it says. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. This word favor means to seek his face. And God's face at this point is a face of anger. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. He's reminding God that they're not just his, they're the Lord's people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Moses chooses to ask God to relent. Though I love the wording of this passage because what it, what it says is Moses sought to change God's face. And I go back to that picture image of when I was angry and fighting and that kid opened up the fridge and said, want a Coke? What Moses did was he wanted to Seek God's face and turn it from one of anger into one of grace and forgiveness. Like my mom used to say, turn that frown upside down. She doesn't actually sound like that. But the idea was to change God's mind, to change his thought of what he was about to do. And Moses, instead of going, okay, God, you do whatever, I'm blessed, he chooses to defend and to step in the gap, to intercede on behalf of the people. Yes, God was angry. Yes, they were doing these evil things. But Moses cried out to God and said, don't destroy them. Give them another shot. I wonder, church, what would happen if you and I decided to do that? It says, the Lord relented and did not bring in his people the disaster he had threatened. God's face changed. I wonder those people in our lives that we can become very angry with and we know that God is angry with. Maybe their attitude is wrong. Maybe their behavior is sinful. Maybe they're just hard people to live with. Maybe it's a particular people group that frustrate you or that you think God is angry with, people of a different color, different religion, and you're really comfortable for God to bless you and what you're doing, but you're okay for them to be destroyed, for them to go through suffering and pain. What Moses did here was he interceded and God relented in order that he might bring about transformation in their lives a second chance, the same chance that you and I got because someone interceded on our behalf. When you and I 
intercede for the broken, God offers benevolence. God offers his kindness. People get another shot. And I wonder how many of us have individuals in our lives where we would think, what if God got a hold of them? Think about those people that you get angry at, maybe that you think are so far from God, there is just no chance, right, of any reconciliation or redemption. Those people, those are the very ones that God wants to reach out to. Church, he's waiting for us like Moses to say, hey God, remember, this is who you are. Remember what you wanna do with our world. You wanna bring about transformation and new life. Bless them, protect them, speak to them, offer them hope. Begin to pray that God would do something in their lives to bring about that transformation. God is just as angry at their sin and behavior as he is at our sin and our behaviors. And it's understandable why some of us would get upset just like God does. But that's the challenge. The challenge that God gives us is to intercede and to begin to love those who are broken, those who are corrupt, those who are stiff-necked. Because if we will do that and we will intercede, God will bring benevolence. God will bring his kindness. God will bring new life and transformation. Over the 40 days of Lent, we've got prayer focuses each week. Some of you have been online. It's allshores.org slash 40, spelled out. And each week, there's a different way that you and I can pray and kind of have a focus during these 40 days. Moses spent 40 days with the Lord on the mountain and in the end, wound up interceding on behalf of the broken. I think God's challenge, his call to us is to do the same during these 40 days. To think about those people in our lives that we are praying for, that we want to see forgiven and see new life. Every one of you, well, most of you, should have received a card when you came in, two cards, actually, that just say 40. It's got our logo on there uh, for the series. And there's a line at the bottom that just says name. Here's what we're hoping that we will do this next week is that at all of our campuses, you will take one person, your one life, and write their name down on both cards. What we're gonna ask you to do is leave one here so that we can be praying and take one with you. When you come up to receive communion today, you're gonna drop the card off. There's some plates up here. You're just gonna drop that in the plates. But on the back of there is a prayer. And the reason we want you to take that card with you is we want you to remember during these 40 days to do what Moses did and begin to intercede and plead on behalf of God that these individuals would come to know Jesus Christ that our challenge would be to intercede for them, that God would bring benevolence. On the back, there is a prayer. And it's simply these words. God, turn my heart away from myself. Open my eyes to see the plight of others and to regularly and consistently pray for them. As I intercede for my one life, let me hear from your spirit and obey you as you lead me to enter into their mess and to share with them the hope I have in Jesus. Now, for some of you, it might be this today that God is just wanting your heart to be softened for those who are not like you and to begin to pray for them in a new way. Say, God, change me 
so that I have a heart to intercede for others who are not like me, who are broken, who are corrupt, who do not follow you. Maybe today for some of you, it's to take that step to say, no, there's one person that I'm praying for and I'm, I really, God, I, I, wanna, I wanna plead on their behalf, to fast, to pray, to focus on asking you to do something in their life. And maybe for some of us, it's to take that next step, which is to enter into their mess, to get to know them a little bit more, to have those conversations, to say, I'm praying for you. I'd love for you to join me on Easter. Invite them to come to be a part of that service where they can hear about God's love for them. And maybe this year, maybe this year is the year that they will receive God's grace all because you interceded on their behalf. That's the challenge, that you and I would intercede so that God might bring benevolence into the lives of others. So as you take those cards, I just want you, I know there's pens throughout, uh, throughout the worship center, just grab a pen, write their name on the front, just first name only is fine. And when you come up for communion, just leave one of them in the, in the plates up front as you receive communion. And then take the other one with you and commit to praying throughout the rest of these 40 days that God might bring his grace. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to step in, to intercede, to change the face of God so that others might come to know you, to know the hope that we have. God, thank you for blessing us. But Lord, the blessing is not just for us. It's for all who would turn and receive you as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray today that you would begin that work in many of our one lives. That they would come to experience the presence of your spirit they might not even recognize that that's what it is, but they would identify that something is happening in their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would give us divine interactions where we could speak into that and say, I know what is happening. It's the power and the presence of God to bring about transformation. So Lord, thank you for the work that you have done in us and the work you are doing in others. In Jesus' name, amen.